All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and it is Monday, so we are standing in the confessional corner this week talking about Article 22 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession on both kinds in the Lord's Supper. This comes about in the time where Luther is looking to reform what's done in the Mass. And one of the great abuses of the Mass is that the laity are only given the bread. They are not given the wine. And so it is the reinstatement of the wine to the laity that really causes a great stir in the Reformation. And we'll see that as we get into the Apology this week. Start off paragraphs 1 through 5. There is no doubt that using both parts in the Lord's Supper is godly and in agreement with Christ's institution and Paul's words. For Christ instituted both parts, not for a portion of the church, but for the whole church. Not only the presbyters, but the entire church uses the sacrament by Christ's authority and not by human authority. We suppose the adversaries recognize this. If Christ has instituted the supper for the entire church, why is one kind denied to a part of the church? Why is the use of the other kind prohibited? Why is Christ's ordinance changed, especially when he himself calls it his testament? If it is unlawful to set aside a man's testament, it is more unlawful to set aside Christ's testament. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. He had delivered the use of both kinds, as the text, 1 Corinthians 11, clearly shows. He says, do this in 11.24. First about his body, afterward Paul repeats the same words about the cup, Christ's blood. And then, let a person examine himself then, so and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, chapter 11, verse 28. These are the words of him who has instituted the sacrament. Indeed, he says before that those who will use the Lord's Supper should use both. It is clear, therefore, that the sacrament was instituted for the whole church. The custom still exists in the Greek churches and was once observed in the Latin churches, as Cyprian and Jerome testify. For Jerome says to Zephaniah, the priest who administer the Eucharist and distribute the Lord's blood to the people, and so on. The Council of Toledo gives the same testimony. Nor would it be difficult to gather a great multitude of references. We are not exaggerating. We will allow the level-headed reader to determine what should be held about the divine ordinance. Once again, we have this idea from Melanchthon that this should be a very clear-cut, non-controversial issue. This should not even be an issue at all. The Greek churches have both kinds being used in the Lord's Supper. The Roman church at some point decided, no, the laity aren't allowed to have it. And pretty much the greatest reason for it is that the lay people might spill the cup. They might cause the Lord's blood to splash onto the floor. Now, granted, that is a very plausible example, but again, to disallow the laity to have that just means that when the priest fills up the chalice, well, who's going to drink it? Well, that's just him. But Melanchthon goes on to say this was up to Jerome, the great doctor of the church, that his Bible is the one that was still in use 
and still is the primary use in the Roman Catholic Church today. Jerome says that both kinds were given in the Eucharist in his day. Why did it change? We don't know. Again, the reasons are basically as basic as the lay people might spill it, or, well, we have body, and if you take our body, then you have a little bit of blood with it, so it's the same way with the bread. It's like that's stretching things quite a bit. And he ends this section by saying, we are not exaggerating on the multitude of examples we can give from church history. We will allow the level-headed reader to determine what should be held about the divine ordinance. And the level-headed reader should say, well, if Jesus says this, we should do it. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of listening to Jesus and him being God. We move on into paragraphs 6 through 8, where Melanchthon talks about the confutation and its reaction to the original article from the Augsburg Confession. In the confutation, the adversaries do not try hard to relieve the church to which one part of the sacrament has been denied. This would have been fitting to good and religious men. A strong reason for relieving the church should have been sought, and consciences which would have received only a part of the sacrament should have been instructed. Now these very men maintain that it is right to ban the other part of the sacrament and forbid the use of both parts. First, they imagine at the church's beginning it was customary at some place to give only one part of the sacrament. However, they are not able to produce any ancient example of this. They quote the passages mentioning bread as Luke 24:35, where it is written that the disciples recognized Christ in the breaking of the bread. They quote other passages, Acts 2:42 and 46, Acts 20, verse 7, about the breaking of bread. Although we do not object if some interpret these passages as referring to the sacrament, it does not make sense that only one part of the sacrament was given. According to the ordinary uses of language, naming one part also means the other. They also refer to lay communion, which was not the use of only one kind, but of both. Whenever priests are commanded to use lay communion, it is meant that they have been removed from the ministry of consecration. The adversaries are not ignorant of this, but they abuse the ignorance of the uneducated. When the uneducated hear of lay communion, they imagine the custom of our time by which only a part of the sacrament is given to lay people. One of the biblical ways of referring to the sacrament is the breaking of bread. This is one that is used in Acts 2. It is also used in Acts 20 and in other places in Paul's writings. But just because bread is the only thing mentioned does not mean that the wine is also not there. The ordinary use of language, if you mention one thing, you should have all of it. Just like when we call it the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving. It's not just that there is Thanksgiving going on, but you have the meal as well. You have the bread and wine in there with the Thanksgiving that is given to God. And then he goes into a little diatribe on lay communion, which is one of those things that in the Roman Catholic Church is an issue. What exactly is meant by lay communion? The uneducated automatically think, okay, if you're not a priest, then that is the communion you receive. And for the people in the 16th century, that would be the sacrament in one kind. But that's not what the Roman Catholic Church means by lay communion. 
Lay communion is the communion given to those priests who have been kicked out of the priesthood, who have been removed from the roster of the priest for a indecent lifestyle. And so they are still allowed to receive both kinds because they were priests at one time. But this is not lay communion as we think of the laity receiving communion. This is priest receiving communion but not being priest. So they can receive it, but they can't preside over it, which seems to be quite the distinction, which really shouldn't matter at all, especially according to Melanchthon, when everybody ought to be able to receive both anyway. There should be no difference between a pastor's communion and the lay communion. There should be no middle ground in between because everybody is in that middle ground. There is no separation between them because everyone receives the body and blood of Jesus. In his talk of the confutation, he goes on in paragraphs 9 through 13. Consider the adversary's rudeness. Gabriel Beale recalls, among other reasons, why both parts are not given to distinguish between laymen and presbyters. It is credible that the chief reason why one part is prohibited is this. The clerical order may be more dignified by a religious rite. To say nothing more extreme, this is a human design. It can easily be judged whether this helps. In the confutation, they also mention Eli's sons. After the loss of the high priesthood, they were to seek the one part applying to the priest. See 1 Samuel 2.36. Here they say that the use of one kind was meant. They add, so our lay people should be, also be content with one kind, with only the priest receiving the other. The adversaries are clearly being silly when they transfer the history of Eli's descendants to the sacrament. Eli's punishment is described there. Will they also say that as a punishment, lay people have been separated from the other part? The sacrament was instituted to comfort terrified minds. This happens when they believe that Christ's flesh is given as food for the life of the world, John 6:51, and when they believe that being joined to Christ, they are made alive. But the adversaries argue that lay people are separated from the other part as a punishment. They should, they say, be content. This is enough for a dictator. Why should they withhold both parts of the sacrament? The reason must not be asked, but what, let whatever the theologians say be law. This is ex-doing. We recognize those proud words. If we wanted to criticize, there would be no lack of words. You see how great the rudeness is. He commands as a tyrant in the tragedies, whether they will or not, they must be content. Will the reasons that he cites excuse in God's judgment those who ban a part of the sacrament and attack people using an entire sacrament? If they make the prohibition in order that there may be a distinguishing mark between priest and laity, this very reason should move us not to agree with the adversaries, even though we could go along with their custom, but for other reasons. There are marks that distinguish the order of priest from the people, but it is clear why they defend this distinction so earnestly. We do not want to ridicule the value of the order, so we will not say more about the adversaries' real intent. The main reason Gabriel Beale, one of the great theologians of the Middle Ages, gives for the distinction of the priesthood receiving both kinds and the laity receiving only one kind is so that distinction may be maintained, that they may show, once again, that the life of the priest is more holy than the life 
of the regular person to again bring more people or more respect to the religious life instead of the common life. That is the main distinction, Melanchthon says. But, of course, they bring out Eli, the high priest in Samuel's day, and his wicked sons. Again, bringing about lay communion ideas, but also then saying, you must be content with whatever we say. You don't have to like it, which was one of Ric Flair's great lines. Whether you like it or you don't like it, learn to love it because it's the best thing going right now. And that's exactly what the adversaries are saying in the confrontation, is that you can like it, you can not like it, but you have to learn to deal with it and accept it. And that is the voice of the tyrant, as Melanchthon says. Be content with what you have, regardless of how little it is, because that's all you're going to get. That's all you deserve. I want to take the moment to talk about what we deserve, which is absolutely nothing. None of God's grace do we deserve. None of God's good pleasure do we deserve. We do not deserve to be in the presence of Christ, much less receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But it's not about what we deserve. It's about his mercy, his grace, his love for his fallen creation, his redemption that he brings about. That is what is important. And so we finish up paragraphs 14 through 17 with Melanchthon talking about the ridiculous ideas, as we talked about a few moments ago. They also bring up the danger of spilling the wine and certain similar things. These are not serious enough to change Christ's ordinance. Certainly, if we assume that we are free to use either one part of the sacrament or both, how can prohibiting the use of both kinds be defended? The church does not allow itself to change Christ's ordinance into unimportant matters. We certainly excuse the church that has suffered since it could not receive both parts. But we do not excuse the writers who maintain that using the entire sacrament is justly banned, and who now not only ban, but even excommunicate and violently persecute those using the entire sacrament. Let them figure out how they will answer God for their decisions. It should not be immediately judged that the church decides or approves whatever the pontiffs decide, especially since Scripture prophesies about the bishops and pastors in this regard. As Ezekiel 7.26 says, the law perishes from the priest. Yes, they bring up spilling the wine and other ridiculous things that he says are not serious enough to change the ordinance of Christ. Just because, yes, the chalice could be spilled does not mean that we stop using the chalice. does not mean that the chalice is prohibited from people. And he says, we certainly excuse those who suffered from the fact that they could not receive both kinds. We're not saying that those who only received the bread are not true Christians because they were prohibited from being able to do this because of the tyrannical teachings of the Pope and the bishops. But to still go on with it because we just want to blindly follow what the leaders say, that is 
the voice of those who have been oppressed and suppressed by a tyrant. And the sacrament of the altar, the Lord's Supper, was not designed to be the tool of a tyrant. It was designed and given to us to comfort our consciences with the forgiveness of our sins. That is the whole point, which is why many times at the end when I dismiss the people from receiving communion, I say, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has given you his body and blood to strengthen your faith and to forgive you all your sins. That is the point of the sacrament. Not to point out the difference between priest and laity. Not to point out the different ideological ideas and ridiculous notions that could possibly happen. But to comfort consciences with the forgiveness of their sins through Christ's body and blood. That is the point of the sacrament. That is why Lutherans and many and most other non-Catholics use both kinds, and encourage both kinds in the Lord's Supper so that you receive everything that Jesus wants to give you. All right, that's it for this week in the confessional corner. Next week, we continue to pick on the priest as we move into Article 23 and the marriage of priest and the continuation of the tyrants as we delve deeper and deeper into all the abuses that have been allowed into the church by the 16th century. And unfortunately, some of them are still around today, and we'll talk about that as we get to them. But until next week, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for standing in the confessional corner with me and learning again the importance of listening to the Word of God, because it is that Word that gives us the ability to wrestle with the theology around us. Amen.